Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. I want to preface what I'm about to preach today with the simple fact. I just want to, I know that a lot of you guys follow me on Instagram and I just want, I just want to clarify something really quick. Um, uh, I just want to clarify that, um, um, that I am not the one to, I mean, I know that I've been transparent about this, but just, just before we start our sermon, I hope you guys are having a wonderful Sunday, by the way. It's Pentecost Sunday, so today is technically technically the Sunday where the Holy Spirit comes um, to the upper room at Pentecost, and everybody starts speaking in tongues, that, that part we heard in Acts 2 not too long ago in our sermon series. That's that's Pentecost Sunday, This so happy Pentecost Sunday. I just want to clarify something really fast. Uh, the way that I preach, I don't necessarily preach what I want to preach. I preach pray about the sermon that um, I pray about about what God wants me to preach from his word and I rarely decide a topic I don't ever not rarely I don't I never decide a topic before reading the passage I always just simply seek to share the point the homiletical point of whatever the passage itself is saying and as you all know, um, I really wanted to go through the book of Hebrews, but here we are in the book of Acts, and it started since COVID, and I didn't understand at first why God was leading us through the book of Acts during a time where we couldn't even meet together, and we were socially distanced, but I think after (laughs) um, unpacking this passage this past week, I am starting to understand why God wanted us to go through the book of Acts. I just want to clarify just one more time, if y'all didn't get it yet, all right, that I did not, I did not, as much as I wish I could have come up with this this sermon on my own, this sermon is really just a retelling of the passage, as it always is week by week. Um, And this is us going through the book of Acts. I wasn't choosing this passage out of thin air. Like we've been going through the book of Acts. We're continuing to go through the book of Acts after this too. And you guys all know that. So I just, I just want you to know that in advance. All right. We're going through, on that note, we are continuing through the sermon series in the book of Acts. We are continuing in Acts chapter five. The title of today's sermon is Following God Through Suffering and Civil Disobedience. Um, We are continuing in Acts chapter 5, right where we picked off. I think we ended about at Acts 5, 16 to 17. So we'll be reading um, from Acts 17 to the rest of the chapter. So Acts 17 through Acts chapter seven, Acts chapter 5 verse 17 through 42. I'm reading from the ESV. I give this every every week. I say this every week. Um, it's good for you to read through the NIV or the NRSV. Um, Luke uses very sophisticated Greek, so it might be more cohesive and smooth. Uh, but I'll be reading through the ESV. Um, we're not standing. If you guys want to stand in your own homes, please uh, do so. 
but we are holding with all reverence the reading of God's holy and perfect word. This is the word of God. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were, be, they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they had heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, the Judas rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a, bunch, a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away those, some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But, it is of, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in praying? Uh, Abba, we humbly stand before you, before your holy and perfect word. God, would you just help us to be able to really encounter you, help us to really see what your word says. Father God, I pray for conviction to turn into commitment. I pray for hearts to be roused up and riled up for the things that you care about. Holy Spirit, would you take us to the next level with you? 
Father God, I pray one more time that you would hide me behind your cross. God, I do not want to hide your glory. So God, may my, may the person of who I am, may my person not hinder your word. But Father, I pray that every single person hearing your word would hear it for what it is. So hide me behind your cross that it is only you who is magnified and glorified. Jesus, your people around the world are hurting. Jesus, help us to not rest until your people, until the name of Jesus is proclaimed to all and your people are vindicated by your name. God, I pray for all of us who are angry, for all of us who are hurting for the lives of other people. I pray, God, that you would guide us to not seek justice as the world says it should be, but seek the things of you. For Father God, we see the problem, but we know not the answer. Tune our hearts to sing thy grace. Lead our wandering hearts closer to you. Stray, keep us far from worldly notions of justice and keep us at your feet about your people. We are citizens, before, of, before we are citizens of America, we are citizens of heaven. May we follow your government and your guidance. Hide us behind your cross, all of us. It is only a short 50 to 70 years maximum before we come to see you for eternity. Help us to understand the eternal perspective and prioritize you over everything else, even our own morality and justice. Unpack this word for us. Give us peace and healing. May our anger simmer into action. May we seek your love above all things. In Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. For those of you guys who are taking notes, I will be giving you this main idea. The main idea is following the gospel may lead to suffering and civil disobedience, but we follow God above government. I'm going to say that one more time. Following the gospel may lead to suffering and civil disobedience, but we follow God above government. Now, if we remember what was happening in the verses prior to this. It was about Ananias and Sapphira. It was about the fellowship of the believers. Before that, it was about healing at Solomon's portico, at the gate called Beautiful, the paraplegic that was able to walk when, when Peter extended his hand and said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And the Jewish leaders were outraged because day by day, they were being added to the number, those who were being saved in the church. And the church was acting in countercultural communion, breaking bread with one another, having fellowship with one another. And so the context of this is that while the apostles were preaching at Solomon's portico, the very place where the paraplegic was healed, healing people, 
and proclaiming the name of Jesus, the government arrested all the apostles and stuck them in jail. It's a strange situation that we see here. Because if you really think about it, the apostles, they were preaching, I mean, yes, they were preaching that Jesus is Messiah and that goes against Jewish government, but they were healing people. Normally, when you, when you, when you think about somebody getting arrested, what do you think of? Why do you think people should get arrested? What do you think is good grounds for people getting arrested? Possibly stealing? Possibly hurting another person? Possibly harming everybody else in their life? Committing a grave sin? But the apostles weren't doing any of those things. They were healing people. They were proclaiming the name of Jesus. They were in joy, eating together, praying together, laughing together. But the government was not fond of Christianity. And even though they had done nothing wrong, for some reason, the God that they believed in was the God that they believed in was grounds for imprisonment. In the beginning of the word that we read today, the word that is used as the motivation and the motivating factor for the government in imprisoning the apostles is envy. And when we think of the word envy, we think of power. Why were they jealous? Why were the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, and the high priests and the Pharisees, why were they jealous of Peter, a fisherman? Why was he such a threat to them? They envied the authority of the name of Jesus, and they envied the sway that, that Peter was starting to have with the people. And so they take them, stick them in jail. Later on in this passage, we're not going to get to the, when they're brought before the Sanhedrin yet, but later on in this passage, the high priest states his case before Peter and John. He says, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to bring that man's blood upon us. So we see here that even though Peter and John had done nothing wrong, they were being persecuted. We see here that they're being persecuted and stuck in prison, which is a legal, a legal institution of incarceration that has to do with punishment for crime. They're stuck in the public prison, most likely under the authority of the Romans, out of envy. 
And then they say, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to bring that man's blood upon us. So what I've just read, it actually hints at a little bit more than just envy. And when we're confronted with this question, like why were Peter and John stuck in jail? Just a simple reading comprehension question. Why were Peter and John stuck in jail? The first thing is envy. The first thing is that power struggle. The second thing was preaching in the name of Jesus rather than in their religion. But in that actual verse, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to bring that man's blood upon us. We actually see one more reason for why Peter and John and the apostles were stuck in jail even though they had committed no crime, even though they were harmless, healing people. And the clue is in you are determined to bring that man's blood upon us. The reason why, and this isn't talked about often, This isn't talked about often. One of the reasons why the government at the time persecutes the apostles is because the apostles say, along with the gospel, along with the fact that Jesus is Messiah, one of the main premises that they argue is the Christ that you crucified is actually the Messiah. He had done no wrong. So the, what Peter and John are partially being persecuted for, yes, is the envy, yes, is the element of healing, yes, is the element of the fact that Jesus Christ is Messiah, but the other thing is that Peter and John are accusing the government of unfairly killing Jesus, even though he had committed no crime. This is really important. This is really important to understand. Because the Jewish leaders treated Jesus as a dangerous criminal, even though he had done nothing wrong. He was born in a more impoverished part of Judea, in Nazareth. They looked down on him. And they treated Jesus, because of the countercultural message that he carried, they treated Jesus like a dangerous criminal, even though he did not hurt a single soul. They treated him as somebody under God's curse and, must, and as somebody that must be eliminated from God's people via crucifixion, even going so far as to releasing a serial killer from prison, Barabbas, in order to crucify Jesus Christ. And what Peter is doing here, what Peter and John have done here, they're not just proclaiming the name of Jesus, it's not just about power, but Peter and John are revealing the injustice of the Jewish authorities and the unfair killing, lynching of Jesus Christ via capital punishment in crucifixion flogging him, bleeding him out, but ultimately killing him via suffocation in the most painful, gruesome way to die. Treating him like a curse by hanging him on a tree. 
that's why Peter and John were stuck in prison. That's why Peter and John and the apostles, even though they had done nothing wrong, they were stuck in prison. It was partially, yes, partially the healing and the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. But the other part was that if Jesus really is the Messiah, that means that the Jewish government is corrupt. You ain't ever heard it like that, have you? And don't it sound familiar? When the government does something corrupt and try to cover it up. When the government unfairly kills people, even though they have done nothing wrong, because they are threatened. When people kill other people because they are threatened of what that person is. When the government enforces injustice, when the government acts in sin and unfairness, when the government goes against the will of God, and the message of love that Christ carried. Whatever is happening in Acts 5, the, the underlying reasons for why the leaders of the church were stuck in jail is not too unfamiliar. And some may see Peter and John as a religious leader because of all the healing in the name of Jesus and the messianic word. But others who are sympathetic to the cause of Christ might have seen Peter and John as political leaders because they were going against the political government of that time by stating an injustice that was done to Christ. So they were stuck in prison. Why did, the next question that might come up in your brain is, you know, why were they stuck in prison if they were this much of a threat, if they were basically asserting that the Jewish government was being unjust and unfairly lynching a man who had done no wrong, a man that is arguably the son of God? Why didn't they just kill the apostles? Why did they just stick him in prison? The Jewish leaders were afraid of the public sympathy that all the Israelites that had heard him preach had on Peter and John because everybody can tell that whatever Peter and John were preaching was real. And so they were afraid of being stoned if they tried to kill Peter and John on the spot. But they also wanted to make an example out of the apostles and scare them off. Scare them off from... from unearthing their corruption and unearthing their works righteousness and unearthing where they were wrong. And then what happens? God intervenes in the first real way since Jesus Christ goes up into heaven. An angel of the Lord releases them from prison. They're released. The next day, they're out in the same place that they normally are, Solomon's portico, on that side of the temple, preaching and teaching the gospel. And everybody, all the leaders are like, what the heck just happened? 
the prison guards are like, nah, bro, we didn't, we didn't leave our posts. Nothing ever happened. Everyone's like, why are they out? And they're dragged back in. And then when they're dragged back in, the persecuted, jailed people, the apostles, the leaders of the church, stand before the Sanhedrin, which is the government body. You can consider that as Congress and the Supreme Court put together. Okay? So the Sanhedrin is like the main ruling body of the Jewish government, which is still a colony under Rome. And the persecuted jail people stand before the Sanhedrin without force this time because the Sanhedrin is afraid of being publicly lynched. At this point, they're probably also a little bit embarrassed that Peter and John were set free. In this way, this is something important to note. It's a side note. I don't want to elaborate on this, but there was public accountability at that time towards the government. The public, seeing the legitimacy of the gospel, stood behind Peter and John, and so the government couldn't do whatever the heck they wanted. That's very important to note. Public accountability of the government was there at the time. But anyways, Peter and John are out because the angel of the Lord vindicates them by setting them loose, and then they're brought back in before the governing body. And the high priest says, what happens? You have filled the name of Jesus in Jerusalem, and you are determined to bring that man's blood upon us. Interestingly enough, the high priest diagnoses the power of the Holy Spirit that is let loose in this time. He says, you know, they, we tried their best. We tried our best not to let this happen, but the name of Jesus doesn't stop ringing out because of you. And because of you, the blood of Jesus is upon us. The high priest, interestingly, affirms, in a weird, skewed way, affirms what's going on here. See, because the government tried everything they could. They killed Jesus. They dispersed the apostles. The apostles had to go into hiding. Everybody went loose. They, you know, stuck him in the grave. They made rumors about Jesus being stolen by grave robbers when Jesus was resurrected and started appearing before people. They did everything in their power to stop this from getting out of hand. And they couldn't stop it. Because the followers of Jesus Christ, appointed by God, called in mission, didn't stop living out the gospel. There was an unshakable force behind their actions that was the blood of the Lamb, the love of Jesus Christ. And the high priest says, we can't stop, stop it. And what does Peter say? We must obey God rather than human beings. He goes on and on about Jesus Christ. He accuses the Jewish leaders, like I said before, of having treated Jesus like a dangerous criminal, as somebody under God's curse that must be eliminated from God's people via crucifixion. He asserts that Jesus is leader, that he is savior, that he grants repentance of sins. If you believe in the name of Jesus, that Jesus is quick to forgive, mighty to save. Here we see two things that are happening. The Jewish leaders are reacting legally and persecuting Peter and the apostles legally based on a legal ban 
of sharing the name of Jesus Christ, which is steeped not only in difference of religion, but in corruption and injustice in the government. Peter and John, they do not deny in their rebuttal against the government, they do not deny the ban that exists, but they deny the legitimacy of the law. They deny the legitimacy of the law. Then the men are ushered out. They're like, what the heck do we do? And Gamaliel, this respected individual, he stands up, he goes, you don't know which side God is actually on, so chill out. You might fight against God by fighting these men. You might defile your hands with the blood of God's people. You see here that Gamaliel, in the language, you see that Gamaliel doesn't actually believe that this is the case, but he shows wisdom beyond his, his side. It echoes the language of Pharaoh at the Exodus, when Moses is like, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, I will not, and ends up being on the other side of God. So they bring the men back in. They don't do anything more. But they do flog the men, they whip them, and they renew the ban. Do not preach in the name of Jesus. Do not preach that the Christ is Messiah. And the apostles leave and are filled with joy because they had the boldness to proclaim Jesus. They had the faith to keep listening to God. And it fills them with, the Holy Spirit fills them with courage and fills them with thankfulness that they were worthy to be hurt for the gospel. And they keep day by day preaching in homes and in the temple in the name of Jesus Christ. Man. I don't know if y'all knew that this was about the government that this was a legal ban that they were being imprisoned for based on government injustice that was trying to be covered up. That Peter and John were acting arguably in civil disobedience and defying the law that was set by the rulers and authorities of the government at the time. I don't know if you knew that the part Part of the reason why the early church was persecuted was because the authorities themselves unfairly lynched a man who had done no wrong, who carried a different message than what they carried. When you hear these facts, the facts of the case that is laid out before you, what comes to mind? I see in our day and age, we have seen, not I see, we have seen people dying at the hands of government officials, even though they did not actually pose a threat. We see people unfairly dying 
people being treated like trash in and over. We see the ugly, ugly heart of racism, racial injustice, societal, socioeconomic injustice towards the weak, the poor, and the marginalized, rearing its ugly head. People being unfairly lynched at the hands of government today. God's people being shot down because they are darker than other of God's people. In a Christian nation, one church against another. The black church dying at the hands of the American government, one by one. And it shows us, this passage shows us that there is quite possibly nothing more biblical. That the actual situation that is happening in our world today is not something that is separate from the gospel, but it is a biblical situation of injustice that has happened time and time again. We see that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, went through the very thing that a lot of our black brothers and sisters are experiencing. That the injustice that happened to Jesus, that Jesus used to save the world with, the very pain that Jesus endured, is not so different in color than some of the injustices that are happening in our world today. I don't know about you, but I've never thought of it like that. That Jesus died at the hands of injustice. That he was unfairly lynched. And Peter, when he denies the legitimacy of the ban. He says one thing. And that, so this is, the, this is the, actually before I go into that, I want to state something. Um, how does our world deal with this level of injustice? We've been seeing riots and violence break out all across our country. We've been seeing, not to make, not to make Sunday service political, but just to be really real with y'all, right? A lot of people are dying at the hands of others who have been hurt and enraged past the point of any return. Crying out to the point where cars are being blown up. Houses are being broken into. Stores are being broken into and looted. People crying out in rage and hate at the hands of a government that they were helpless to for years, that refused to listen to them. And we see here, I believe truly that this passage, 
that we can see here a different solution to the same problem. See, when Peter denies the legitimacy of the ban, he looks right at the Jewish leaders and he says, Jesus offers forgiveness of sins to those who repent. The point of the gospel being preached in the Jewish temple to Israel, the nation that persecuted and lynched Jesus Christ, our Lord. The answer to all of that was repentance. The point that Peter was making was that the church of God, that, that God's people needed to repent and be saved for the forgiveness of sins because what they had done was sinful. The injustice that they had enacted was sinful and they needed to repent and be forgiven. Jesus offered forgiveness to his oppressors. Jesus offered forgiveness to those who had killed him. If you repent and believe in the name of Jesus. Now the Jewish leaders didn't take it. But we start to see here some parallels. That God's call is to repent. That what's happening to the black community is Christ-like. But that the reaction of Peter and John was a little bit different. Now there's been a lot of news circulating on Instagram and on Facebook and CNN. Like every day we hear news of injustice pouring out. And it might be harder to come to terms with what's going on in terms of injustice when we see them as black brothers and sisters versus the Korean American community. In the LA riots in the 80s, Korean stores were the ones that were looted and a young Korean man was killed. But when we see them as our brothers and sisters that are encountering an injustice that is not so different from the injustice that Jesus himself encountered, when we see that their suffering is biblical, and when we see that their hurt is very, 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 very validated by scripture, when we see that this is not a political issue, but that this is an issue within the church, within unity of the body of Christ, we, we can understand it is not a matter of race. It's a matter of citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. And if you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, then we have a tie. Then we have a tie to them as we are all in the kingdom of God. We are all citizens of the same nation. We are all family members of the same family, of the same tribe, of the same blood that ties us together and binds us in unity. And that is the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ, who was also persecuted in the same way that our black brothers and sisters are dying day by day. But there, but God's call through Peter was repentance. Jane, though, are you saying that we shouldn't follow the government? Are you saying, screw the police? By no means. 
I'm not saying that you should just go off and be vigilantes and take matters into your own hands. Please don't do that, okay? Please don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus says, when the Pharisees talk to him about taxes, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to the Lord what is the Lord. But when the government and the will of God are not aligned, what will you do? And how can we apply this into our lives today? My three points of application is that following Jesus may lead to civil disobedience, following Jesus may lead to suffering, and following Jesus will lead to joy. The first is that following Jesus may lead to civil disobedience. If the government and the will of God are not aligned, what will you do? In this passage, the apostles continue to defy the highest court in the land. They defy Congress. And it's never easy. But sometimes when the human court of law defies the teachings of Christ and the gospel, it is sometimes necessary. Because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever court of law we follow and whatever court of law we carry, that sends a blaring message to the rest of the world of what our government is. Now, some of you guys might not understand what civil disobedience is. And so, and, or some of you guys might have learned what civil disobedient, dis disobedience is in a push or, or in your gov class or in college. I'm going to define what biblical civil disobedience is as defined in this passage. So what is civil disobedience? Some of you guys might define it as a deliberate, public, nonviolent action that is contrary to law and is designed to draw public attention to some policy in the government in hopes that the policy is changed. But that is not what the apostles do. The apostles do not mobilize the people for a march on the Sanhedrin in order to put pressure on the government to make the name of Jesus legal. The, the apostles do not mobilize the people for a protest in the Sanhedrin in order to put pressure on the government to bring light to the fact that Jesus was publicly lynched. But... They disobey the policy of the Sanhedrin that nobody may teach about Jesus. They don't necessarily lead a mob, but they do act out and lead in their civil disobedience, their individual civil disobedience. If the alternative is between obeying God and obeying a government policy, disobedience to earthly authorities become a necessity. What I am saying right now, I realize is crazy, but you need to understand that if the alternative is between obeying God, obeying the teachings of scripture, and obeying a government policy, earthly authority is a necessity. Why? Because we are first legal citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That was what was bought by the blood of the lamb. That is what it says in Philippians 1:27 that we are citizens 
polytheistic citizens, citizens of the kingdom. So I don't want to just give you guys like that kind of measuring stick and say not give any parameters, okay? Don't just judge whether or not a government policy is disobeying God on your own standards and your own notions of social justice because we follow biblical justice. And so I'm going to give you guys some questions that you guys can ask yourselves and test the government with, some, some points and parameters that you can measure by in order to understand whether or not you might need to act in civil disobedience in certain situations. When do we act in civil disobedience? The first point is when we are required to deny faith in Jesus. When the government requires you to let go of your faith. So point blank, that is the one point that civil disobedience becomes a necessity. The second point is when we are required to commit sinful acts. When we are required to commit sinful acts by the government, when the government requires us to go against God. And the third thing is when we are required to act contrary to God's commands. When we are required to act contrary to God's commands. So the first was when we were required to deny faith in Jesus. The second one was when we are required to commit sinful acts. When we, and the third one was when we are required to act contrary to God's commands. What are God's commands? The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus sums up in Matthew the law of the Ten Commandments in two great commandments. I believe it's also in, yeah, I think it's, is it John or Mark? No, maybe it's Luke 23 um, or Matthew 23. It's probably honestly Matthew 23, but Jesus commands us to do that and then he gives us the great commission to go out and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is that not what is happening today are not our brothers and sisters being falling victim to sin are not our brothers and sisters being hurt by a lack of the American church, a, a lack of obedience and submission to God by the American church? Should nationalism and xenophobia take precedence over God's commandment to love? God's charge to be one in Christ, to break bread, to have deep communion with one another, Jews and Gentiles, people of all nations. Is not our government normalizing sin and perpetuating hate? 
what will you do? What will you do? Church, what will you do? We are held accountable by God. Your actions have consequences, not just on this earth, but in the kingdom of heaven. I'm not trying to scare you guys, but I hope you understand that you are not the ruler of this world. God is the ruler of this world. And God is a judge. Where do you stand? Now be prudent about the ways that you act. How should we act in civil disobedience? The first thing is that you need to be civil, okay? Civil, you need to be civil. By nature, it's nonviolent. But be prudent, be smart about what you're doing. The angel told the apostles to go and preach. The angel told the apostles to do it one way, to be overt and ostentatious and be out there. But there's no way that the Bible shows that that is morally permissible or prudentially advisable. For example, when Christians disobeyed Nazi Germany during World War II, not everybody did it in the same way. Some judges spoke against the government. Other people hid Jews in their homes. Still, others tried to ship out resources. Others tried to ship people out of America. Civil disobedience in obeying God might look differently in every different situation. But test yourself against scripture. Make sure that your civil disobedience in and of itself is consistent with the word of God. And understand that when human government and a human court of law goes against the will of God, Civil disobedience is necessitated. But Jane, though, that might mean that we suffer. Yeah, it might. Following Jesus might lead into suffering. Repeatedly. But, not individually. Very seldomly will somebody be suffering individually, unless you're the leader of a church. If you are suffering individually as a result of your faith, you might not be communing with the body of Christ. God never asked for you to be persecuted alone. We are together. But the implications of that is that when one member of the body of Christ is suffering, we should all be suffering with them. Our brothers and sisters are suffering. They are dying for no reason. That means that their pain is our pain. Their loss of life is our loss of life. And their grief is our grief. This is not a political issue. This is a matter of our loyalty to God. This is a matter of our faithfulness to the Father and to his people. And the last point is that following Jesus leads to joy no matter the circumstances. In order to understand how joy could possibly exist in suffering, because that's perplexing. Like, Jane, how could there be joy in suffering? How can there be joy in persecution? We must hold to joy. 
Because joy as defined in scripture is not fleeting gratification, like when you drink alcohol and you're merry, or when you have a great time with your friends because you're hanging out. That's different. That's temporary gratification. But the joy, the biblical joy that we are talking about is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, pleasure in being with God. Although it may be hard, although it may not be easy to act in civil disobedience, it might be hard to suffer with the rest of the body of Christ. There is joy in following Jesus. Because guys, like I said before, we have 50 years and then it's eternity. Because we are not citizens of America before we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to see, we're going to see our black brothers and sisters there. We're going to see everybody in the black community in heaven. They're our flesh, they're our blood, they're our family. And so standing up for other members of the body of Christ against a government that is not aligned with God wisely and in step with the Spirit, even in how we do it, is an act of joy. It's a privilege and an honor. And yet, the point is repentance, guys. Because 1 Corinthians 5.21 says that God is in the ministry of reconciliation and that we are ambassadors for Christ. The goal is for the persecutor to repent and be saved and forgiven. The goal is love. The goal is unity. That's our goal. Not better laws. Not a better system. It's repentance. Church, what will you do? What will you do? I pray that you see the biblical mandate to act. I pray you see the consistency between what Jesus experienced and what Ahmaud Aubrey experienced. I pray you see the consistency between what Jesus experienced and what George Floyd experienced. I pray that you see Jesus in our brothers and sisters, and then you stand beside them, not as a political stance, across party lines that we would just stand with our brothers and sisters in the faith, that we would fight for their lives, not with acts of violence, but as ambassadors for Christ, that we would not sit and be complicit. Would you take some time to pray? Wherever you're listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. 
For more information, check out our website at mbkmc.com.